Hey everyone, and welcome to episode 21 of Death Space Filling the Void. Hey, we're deep in November now, right? Gotta get those workouts in now, because Thanksgiving is coming. You ever see the meme of the guy behind a tree rubbing his hands together? That's what your sweatpants are looking at you like now. <laughs> they know their turn is coming. Right, because right after Thanksgiving, all the holiday parties start, or work things, depending on where you are. And it all just leads to pounds. Just pounds and pounds. And every year I try, I try not to do it. But you put on that freshman 15 that you then got to feel bad about in January, which you work off in time for the summer, and round and round we go. You know, there's like two weeks you're happy with your body during summer, but then there's enough barbecues, and you got to play ketchup, and then Halloween happens, Thanksgiving. It's a hamster wheel, man. <laughs> yeah, very excited for Thanksgiving coming up in a couple weeks here. Probably going to take a, a week off from posting the podcast so I can be present. You know, not think about anything. Jamie and I are going to Minnesota to spend Thanksgiving with her grandma, Barbara, which is very exciting. Bringing the pup. Long drive. Long drive from Charleston, but very much worth it. Well, we have a, a great interview here today. Great episode. I interviewed film director Kristen Gerwick, who talked to us about her movie called The Windfong. It was a Japanese story and... The movie is in Japanese, but it's one of those things that you don't have to speak the language to understand. Right, of course there's subtitles, but just from the actors' faces and, and what's going on, it's very easy to understand and, and to connect with. And when Jamie and I watched it, we were absolutely teared up. It, and it helped us connect with the people of Japan. Not that the news stories of the tsunami weren't bad enough, but... When you're on the ground level and you're seeing people expressing their grief and their trauma, uh, you, you could just connect with them. And so it's a, a beautiful movie and, and it reminds us just how much people are all the same around the world. So yeah, we talk about the movie, the idea of grieving into a payphone, very interesting, creating space for yourself to grieve, and a lot more. So uh, before we get to that interview, I just want to mention... That if you're liking the show, to please remember to rate, review it, and to check the show out on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. I almost did the or. I haven't done that in a while. The end or YouTube. Well, all right. Let's throw it over to Kristen Gerwick. As always, thank you so much for listening, and enjoy. Joining me now on the podcast is film director Kristen Gerwick, recently directed The Wind Phone. Kristen, thank you so much for coming on Death Space Filling the Void. Thank you for having me. I'm actually really excited to be here and to share more about the themes of the film and how this project came to me. And I think this is a perfect space to discuss it. Well, thank you for saying that. Yeah, there's just so much about your film to discuss. So uh, why don't we just start by you introducing yourself a little bit and telling us a little bit about The Wind Phone. Sure. When I first discovered this is based on a true story in the aftermath of the tsunami in 2011 in Japan, and there's this really great segment on This American Life that covered the true story, where essentially what happened was after the disaster a local in the town he had created this phone booth prior because he had lost a relative of his and he was using the phone to speak with him really to share thoughts with him and to be able to connect with him so he had the idea to open it to the public and really turn kind of his personal grieving experience into kind of a collective opportunity for the survivors who had lost loved ones in the disaster and many who really didn't have any closure as a lot of bodies went back out to sea or were never discovered which can be really difficult tens of thousands of people tens of died. thousands yeah it's not it, it's a it's a when you it's digest like, that number it, it's they call it their 911 yeah, absolutely. In Japan. And the Japanese typically, at least from what my actors, because the actors in the film were all born and raised in Japan. It was really important for me to source actors that had grown up in Japan who would have connections to the disaster, would say that 
showing emotion is not always as embraced in their culture. So having this outlet to hold space for grief became so important for so many survivors of the disaster. And what I found interesting is there's this kind of unique experience of grief, but then there's this collective movement happening. And I thought, God, what a beautiful manifestation of grief, you know, where you have this personal space where you can kind of be free to grieve, you know, in these four walls without any judgment, you can really be free to speak or say whatever you want. Mm -hmm. And then this kind of collective healing experience and that all of these survivors were visiting. Sometimes there would be lines and they were sharing this healing space and it just blew my mind. And at the time I was, I had sold a show and was like, about, you know, writing the episodes and we were about to shoot NBC and AT&T canceled their streaming. So it all ended. And then, you know, I was kind of grieving that, which was like a mini death in itself for me in a way. I've spent years doing this research and, oh gosh. But then a few weeks later, I had a trip planned to see my grandmother who I hadn't seen in a few years. And I'm still grappling with the guilt. I still cry about it pretty like at least once or twice a month. I'll, ha- I'll what, just that you, kind of have a meltdown. You hadn't seen her as much as you wish you had. Yeah, life had. And I, I just, you know, when you keep, she lived on the opposite coast and it was just like, okay, we're going to make that trip. And you know how like a year turns into two. Mm-hmm. And it had been too long, but I had this trip plan and she died before I got there. It was over the holidays, just like a week before I arrived. And it was so funny because I had this reminder in my phone to call grandma every Sunday. Mm-hmm. I didn't always call, but if I was like, if I did it at least once or twice a month, that was great. Yeah. And that reminder popped up after she died. And I felt that I just wanted to speak to her anyway. And then the wind phone, that story came rushing back to me. Mm. And I really emotionally now connected to the story on such an internal and personal level. And, and while this story is so uniquely and beautifully Japanese and 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 I I love Japanese cinema. I realized that this story could live and could really I think anyone who's experienced loss could connect to this story. At least that was my theory. Well, having seen it, I definitely can vouch for it. Yeah, that yeah. Yeah, and I didn't I wasn't sure I hoped, you know, and and it ended up now, you know, I think screening over 30 or something 40 countries and and, but I didn't know at the time. And, and so, I, you know, I had this decision, do I adapt this into an American version? And I just, no, it, 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 there was something so beautifully quiet about the, the real wind phone, the location, and just the importance of this kind of cultural historic moment. Mm-hmm. And almost really like an emotional moment in history, which is why... I document the time and the date and everything because I really felt so strongly about it. I decided that, yeah, I was going to do this in Japanese and look to some of my favorite Japanese directors, um, Koreeda, who just did Shoplifters and many other great films that I've watched, like Father Like Son, Still Walking, just an incredible filmmaker. And I decided that I'm going to try to write this in English and then I'm going to look for my Japanese actors. And I told the producer, I was like, I don't want Japanese American or Asian. They must be Japanese native actors who have grown up and are going to have the connections to this disaster to bring that level of authenticity that this, this film would deserve. It was kind of a deal breaker for me. If I didn't find that cast, I, I would not have gone forward with it. I just wouldn't have felt right about it. But magically in casting, these amazing actors showed up who were so excited that this story was being told. 
each one of them had different personal connections. One had lost someone. One had been actually an, a news reporter at the time. So she was watching footage of the disaster. It was really incredible to be able to do that. And another thing that I did in this piece is I decided not to look too closely at the documentary because there is one. I wanted to create each character's story um, on my own and to really tap into the different kinds of manifestations that, you know, how grief can really manifest itself in so many different ways for people. It's, it's so interesting. You know, some people it's denial and some people there's anger, shame, guilt. There's just, there's such a gamut, you know, it really runs the gamut. And when you go through each scene, each character is definitely going through their own form of grief. And it was, it was such a beautiful experience to work with these actors. And while the story was there, I really encouraged them to personalize their connection to this. And each one of them had such profound and heartbreaking ways to do so. Oh yeah, Ex extremely and expressive. I mean, just to provide context to the listeners. So there's, it's this beautiful, beautiful overlook, I guess like a hill over that overlooks the ocean, absolutely gorgeous. And each person is going and, and having their moment in this payphone. And people are right. exactly as you're describing, it runs the spectrum of emotion. Some people come out ready to cry immediately. Some people are angry. Some people are just at the end of their rope and, and you're just a close shot of their face just building to this extremely emotional moment. So I, I just wanted to provide like- Oh yeah, I should what? provide. So it's a, yeah, this phone booth, it is, it's a coastal town. So it is close by the ocean. And what we decided to do to really drive the surreal kind of nature of this, of this connection and this type of moment that you could have is we have it set on a vast ocean view horizon on a cliffside and there's this payphone and, and, you know, when a viewer first comes in and sees this, it's almost feels like a surreal reality is where are we, what is going on? And, you know, it opens up with saying based on, on true events and calling out the location in Japan and documenting the time. And then each caller comes one after another. And at first, you know, because what we did this purposely is that they're not explicitly saying that anyone has died or referencing the disaster in a way that a viewer who wasn't aware of the story would would know. And so we're trying to figure out how all of these callers are connected. And then by the end, we realize this harrowing reality that they've all lost someone in this disaster. And they're really all here to grieve or find closure. And some people, when they watch it, they're able to make that connection earlier on, whereas others by the end are completely surprised. So it's interesting because everyone has their own experience with it. And I think that people also, depending on if they've lost someone mm -hmm. and what their emotions are, have different experiences with the film or connect with different characters. Yeah, I, I can definitely speak to my experience. I watched it with my girlfriend, Jamie. And I think the first thing that I said was that I really connected with the collective grief experience of the people of Japan. I mean, you hear the numbers, you see the news reports, but the aftermath, I guess, can be, there can be a disconnect, but I, through the film, I felt a connection as someone who f lived in New York and my dad worked in the towers and, and was safely, oh, wow. very lucky. I, I felt that like collective grief connection of, of such a huge event with with the people of Japan that it, it just it's so different when you know someone and or you can see that person or you meet a person you know what I mean and that was my first reaction a hundred percent it's interesting some people that have watched the film audience members that they just said they didn't realize the scope of this disaster they just had no idea I guess it really opened their eyes to that this was like a pretty huge historical loss, I mean, of lives. Sometimes you're, we're, we're just covering our eyes because, you know, like in a scary movie, you cover your eyes to hide 
from a killer or something, but this is just so real that you cover your eyes and maybe bury your head in the sand a little bit because. Because the news is so like, <sighs> it's so hard. So hard, exactly. It, it's so hard and it, it's so interesting even before, you know, making this film, we had no idea of the COVID pandemic coming. Mm -hmm. And what happened was also upon the pandemic arriving and, and the loss of lives, I've actually had people reach out to me and say, this film has really helped me work through some of my grief um, because they lost someone in the pandemic very unexpectedly. I think that that unexpected factor of these large kind of death situations, whether it's what's going on in Afghanistan or these a school shooting or this, these natural disasters, death is never easy, expected or unexpected. But I, I think sometimes people, like like in 9-11, you know, just not expected, maybe, you know, that, God, I wish I told that person I loved them before they left that morning. And I think it's like those types of things that can really eat away at people when the death is so unexpected, where you don't have that moment on a deathbed, perhaps you don't even have a body mm -hmm. to, to do you know, a proper funeral or whatever the religion that that person, whatever passage of rights they they may need to do to feel comfortable to transition the body. And I, for myself, it's funny because I still am haunted by the words never said. I still think about, gosh, I really wish I went on that trip to visit her. Or I really wish I sat down and let her taught me how to play bridge. But I, you know, at the time was like a teenager and was like, I'm too busy. I, I need to go because she would visit our family quite a bit. But why do you think that is? I feel like we collectively put too much pressure on ourselves with like a last impression. Yeah, as I think so. Yeah, I think it's, you know, if she could speak, she she wouldn't have the same feelings. I think she would have a very happy remembrance of our relationship. Mm -hmm. But I think sometimes in the when facing loss, there seems to be a lot of people turn to guilt, yeah, um, and shame. Sometimes it's just that that process of trying to reconcile, perhaps not having closure mm. or assigning some blame for why you might be feeling this way when the fact is there's maybe nothing that you could have done that mm -hmm. would really take away the pain of that loss. Right. You know, they say loss is like something that never, you know, at first it's like, it's a, I think it was in the film rabbit hole, which is a, a really wonderful feature film mm -hmm. that deals with grief. I'm gonna have to write down all the movies that you're throwing out. Yeah. Rabbit hole like. was a play <laughs> and it was, adapted into a film with Nicole Kidman and Aaron Eckhart and they lost their son in an accident and they're both grieving in very different ways mm. and it's really just the aftermath of them trying to put their lives back together and also to try to come to grips with how the other person is grieving because when people grieve differently it can be offensive mm. um to a person, another person who's grieving in their own way. Like um, someone may need more human connection versus somebody just wants to be in their own space and not see people kind of thing. Right, or may not want pictures of the person everywhere Got or it. constant reminders. That was a kind of, between that couple, that was like an issue. He felt she was trying to erase him. Okay. Because seeing him was too painful and she felt that he was kind of stuck. And so I guess really there is no right way to grieve. And I think it's a very personal process. And, if, you know, you look at the characters in my film, really unable to face it. And it's kind of stuck. Mm -hmm. She's reliving the moments before and thinking about what she could have done. This is all internally. She doesn't even speak. She's unable to even utter any words. Um, there's some people who aren't able to communicate about their grief. It's a very internal process. The second caller, and this is, this is pretty common in, at the actual wind phone, is giving updates to his loved one and letting her know, his wife, that he lost what the kids are doing and how things are going as they rebuild the house. 
but he comes to realize, you know, that perhaps eventually he does ha- need to let her go. Mm-hmm. And then we have another caller who's keeping a secret from her father. I and- like the one, the one caller. It was, I don't know the relationship, but it was like, you have nothing to say to your father. It was like maybe an adolescent. Oh, yes. It was like, I don't know if I want to do it. And and like an elder was like, you have nothing to say, get in there, <laughs> you know? Yeah, it was the grandmother. Yes, yes. Um, presumably it's alluded to that the mother's still very depressed. So she's taking her granddaughters there to speak to their father. And yeah, the teenage girl, she's avoidant, which is mm-hmm. another, I guess, kind of mechanism that comes up sometimes when grieving avoidance and she has a lot of shame that she wasn't as nice to her father, which most teenage girls, you know. Of course. Yeah, and that she had kept this horrible secret about the dog dying and that it was her fault. And mm-hmm. I think for her, it was just so important to release that mm-hmm. and to release that guilt for the things that her father probably would not be thinking about if he could right. connect with her. But they're not here to fully communicate with us in the physical state. So it's really the things that we have to work through. I think that's why the wind phone, whether it's in the film or in real life, became such a phenomenon. I mean, people from all over Japan, I mean, it's tens and thousands of visitors, even who were not a part of losing loved ones in the disaster, but just losing a loved one have traveled to this phone and other wind phones are starting to be installed in other parts of the world. Do you know where? There was one installed in Ireland, Hmm. um, in the countryside in Ireland. And now there's been one along the Appalachian Trail in New York, which was installed by a grief therapist, Millette Israeli, who I'm actually in contact with. We've thought about potentially uh, collaborating on grief workshops using the film as kind of a, a talking piece for people to kind of discuss and potentially if they want to open up about how they can personally relate to any of the characters or the themes or just really to, to open a conversation. That's got to feel great as a filmmaker that, I mean, uh, a piece that you've created could potentially be used in, in like a therapeutic manner. It's, More than anything else, you know, we've won these, you know, awards, all these film festivals, more than anything else for me, that is what makes me light up inside. That, that's why I'm in film and every time even just one person reaches out to me and says that this film has touched them or helped them in any way. I recently, we showed the film in, uh, at a hospital for chaplains dealing with those in hospice. Mm-hmm. It's such a beautiful experience. And really, we just talked about the importance of holding space for those who are grieving. Mm. And the chaplains were really, the wind foam for them was kind of a, a metaphor in a sense for how they could hold space. Mm. They could be that wind foam because the moderator and, and leader of the training session was really emphasizing how important it is when someone is grieving is sometimes not to try to fix it or just to listen. Yeah, absolutely. Just to hold space and just to hold space for that person. That's sometimes really all that's, that's needed in that moment. Mm -hmm. And you know, it's our human nature, of course, to even mine, I get so uncomfortable if I think even on set, someone's uncomfortable or, in life, you know, I, I automatically want want to come up with a solution as how I can make them more comfortable or fix the issue. But what I'm learning a lot of times is some it really just doesn't require that of me. Mm-hmm. That really all it requires is listening yeah. and for people to be heard, their feelings to be heard, and that they have their own solutions. And that things will take time, right? It's, it's, it's not going to be like that conversation happens and then they're back to who they were. There's somebody different now. They're changed. Of course. I mean, through this whole, I mean, this film, and it's so interesting because I am actually very terrified of death. 
Mm. It's something I think about now and then when I grapple with the thought of it at night, I could go really into a state of panic, the heart racing, all of that. It's just, it's, it's, you know, I think it's one, it's just out of our control. Mm -hmm. One, it's so unknown. You know, there's really no planning around it. There's no navigating it. It's really just about surrendering, which I think in general life is a really great way to live. Sometimes really surrendering to what's happening around us instead of resisting. Um, but you're also a film director and you're like, no, this is my job. I'm in, I'm in control of all these people and, and helping guide and, and right. There's that. Nature, yeah. You know, that's, that's my nature is yeah. to control and to guide and to look for solutions. And mm-hmm. so for me, it's really just an exercise of surrendering. And I, in, in regards to death or anything else, I'm, I'm really, I would say right now working most in terms of like personal growth, on learning to surrender to certain situations. We can do the best we can. Mm -hmm. Then we have to surrender to forces outside of our control or, you know, we will really suffer more than we need to sometimes. Unfortunately, right? Yeah, I find the more I resist what is, the more pain I have. Mm -hmm. So I think, you know, surrendering. And, you know, even in this filmmaking process, there was... I, you know, I am very detail oriented. I'm a very hands-on director in every department. I like, I'm very open to people's ideas, but I'm very aware of the vision and, and how we need to navigate ourselves to arrive, you know, where, we, where I guess, you know, where you did in your mind, right? Mm-hmm. You have this film idea in your mind and then you have to translate it to paper and then you have to translate it to screen. And there's so many different steps in that. But there was a lot of this too, where it was weather dependent and and I really did have to surrender in some moments and trust that things would work out exactly as they needed to. In that, it was a very calm and peaceful set and just very, I would say on set, it was just, I don't know if I'll ever have a set quite like that again, but it was just a little bit magical. When you stepped in that booth too, on set and you were facing the ocean, and the ocean really in this film is a character. It is. Um, yeah. Very much so. I mean, it represents obviously the vast unknown for those that were in, you know, this disaster. The it is the character that took their loved one. There's there's so many ways in which the ocean is so significant in the story. And the actor said when they stepped inside that booth they were there, you know, it was just such a profound, felt like you're almost on the edge of the universe a little bit Hmm. or the edge of between here and somewhere. Yeah. Um, Very surreal. What was really interesting about this process too, when we're getting back to the language is that I worked with the actors first. We worked the scenes in English. And then when we felt really good about them emotionally, they translated the scenes back into Japanese so they were all uh, bilingual. Yeah. Okay. I was wondering, I was going to ask you how that came to be. And, and I assume there was somebody else. We had a translator as well okay. for, the, for anyone that were there, where there were any struggles into mm-hmm. the, doing that translation back or any the emotion. You want that to carry over from English to Japanese. Yes. I was very curious how you did that. Yeah. So we worked in English first and really much, pretty much really just doing these deep dives in the rehearsals, not even just like, Oh, the lines, but like, who was this character? Mm-hmm. What, what were the circumstances of this loss? What happened days before, or maybe even months before, where were they at the time of the loss? A lot of it was just those emotional deep dives and then making sure that that all lined up with the script that I had. And, and so that's kind of how we did that. And once we felt really, we landed in the right place emotionally, I translated it back into Japanese and we had a translator on set, but it was so funny because I never, it actually forced me to be so emotionally close to my cast in terms of their performances. And even relationship wise, I'm all like, all of us are still in touch and I still see them That's great. from time to time. Yeah. It was just, great, you know, bonding experience, but yeah, the translator, she was there, but I knew where they were, what line they were on based on where they were emotionally. Oh, okay. It was just, it was 
we were in that and we had such a diverse cast and crew. My, my DP was from Singapore, from all over the world. It was a very international set. My, my producer was Austrian. It was just, but we were all connected and kind of not to sound corny, but the language of emotion and love really. I and, think that's corny. I think that's, that's, that's what we want. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's the best thing you could ask for, I guess, on, on a film set, right? Yeah. It's not always the, the language of motion and love that's dominating the vibe on, on sets. Right. But yeah, it was just a, it was, and, and if people needed to take breaks, sometimes it was very emotional for different actors and, and, and also just whether it was personal or just being in character got too heavy, you know, I was very protective about them having the space they needed to, to take the time out or, or to take a moment because what is more personal than that? It's, you know, diving into that kind of state and everyone watching you, it's, it's a lot. And to do it over and over again, multiple takes, it, it's, it's quite demanding work. I imagine it's, sitting in, in, they're probably recalling something to help them emote and and so it's just like reliving a potentially like the worst day of their lives over and over again yes over and over again and i that's i just have such the most incredible and intense kind of admiration for for them and and for for what they did because yeah it's 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 quite demanding. And so I think it's really important. I think on any set where you're kind of dealing with a character who's grappling with death or really dark themes, then to create a a protective space for them, Mm -hmm. because sometimes they're not, you know, actors aren't always protected. Sometimes Mm -hmm. people, they want to get the coverage. They're on, they're worried about the time ticking and time is money. And I I felt really happy that everyone on set felt respected and comfortable. And that's great. Yeah. That was really important to me, especially with such heavy material like this. And not easy to do for the reasons that you just described. There's how many other people that are working on it and they all are focused on their task that they're contributing to the film and, and things can get a little, little anxious or, or a little, uh, little rough on set sometimes especially as the day goes long so that's exactly. a testament to you for for achieving that well yeah i think indirect for me personally of course there's the creative tasks and duties and making sure that you're meeting your marks there and but i think a lot of it for me is also like what kind of environment are you creating and if you're not creating a great environment energetically i how can you expect people to be operating at their full potential I love that. I mean, yeah, seems like common sense, but <laughs> yeah, you no, know, it's not always the number one priority. Sometimes on set, at least according to you know different actors I talk to, of less than ideal experiences. Sure. If you're listening to this podcast, one of the reasons may be because you're interested in having your death or a loved one's death. Be celebrated in, in a different way to, to think outside the box a little bit. I, I personally really like the idea of that. And that's why I'm partnering with a company called Spirit Vessel, who creates these guided personalized ceremonies for yourself or, or a loved one. Well, just to give you a little bit of background, Spirit Vessel is a sister owned company that is bringing sacred ceremonies around death back into the home in a beautiful and meaningful way. I love it. I love the idea of of making it more personal. And I've experienced wakes and funerals that it felt so cold and, and wish that I could inject a little bit more personality and, and more storytelling to help the grieving process. Spirit Vessel has these handcrafted ceramic urns and personalized celebration of life ceremony packages that can be done in the comfort of your home or through webcasting services. Whether you're grieving the loss of a loved one, preparing for an imminent death, or taking steps to plan for your own death, Spirit Vessel provides resources to help you respond from your heart with creativity and courage. So basically you can design your own creative and and personalized intimate ceremony that represents the person who you're celebrating. And there's also tips to help people who are grieving going forward. So whether you're interested in the celebration of life ceremony packages, or you'd like to check out or order one of their handcrafted ceramic urns, which are so cool, by the way. 
check out Spirit Vessel. And if you do order anything, feel free to use the promo code DEATHSPACE for free shipping. If you're like me, it can be really hard to come up with the words to say in a card. I know, I always laugh too because talk about 10 years of improv training down the drain. <laughs> Not being able to come up with anything. But especially, that's especially, but that's especially, but that's especially so. I don't know why I can say especially. There you go. Perfect. I can say it. <laughs> During times of grief or when someone loses someone. But thankfully, there's the card studio. There are no words to comfort in a time of deep loss, but you send a card because you care. Yeah, because as we've learned through this podcast, sending something, saying anything is better than saying nothing. The Cardist Studio creates your message, writes it in your card, and mails it for you. See? They'll help you out. You have the intention, the Cardist has the words, bing, bang, boom. All you do is pick the card and tell why you're sending it. No anxiety, all care. For a message from your heart, but not your hands. Just sit back and enjoy your relationships. You know, you don't have that awkward feeling like, ah, was that too much? Did I say too much? Am I talking too much? As I'm literally talking too much? As opposed to figuratively talking too much, Pat. All right. <laughs> My inner voice is kind of mean to me. TheCardistStudio.com, thoughtful, just got easy. And better yet, you can use the promo code DEATHPOD, one word, for 10% off all orders. Do you ever lie in your resume? Huh? Look at me. Look at me when you're lying. No, you should never do that. That's a terrible idea. <laughs> but it can be daunting to, to look at a, a job listing, see everything that you have and... and things that you probably don't have, but we can fix that with My Software Tutor. My Software Tutor offers three levels of real-time Zoom-based courses with a live instructor. So I'm going to keep you on task. They've seen it. They've heard it. They've seen the resumes. They know the holes, but they're here to help. They all deliver practical, functional business skills in a friendly and supportive environment. It'd be funny if it really wasn't a supportive environment. Like, when are you going to understand this? <laughs> Of course, that's not the case. That's just the anxiety or, or, or reliving fear dreams we had as children. These courses will increase your marketability. The job market couldn't be better right now. So it's a perfect time to invest in yourself and, and improve that resume. Whether you're an employee, job seeker, consultant, or contractor. You can sign up for these classes at mysoftwaretutor.com and use the promo code POD20 to save 20% off all registrations. Would you look at that? All right. Enjoy that new job. Well, I wanted to ask you about the practice of entering a wind phone. Let's say I was placing you in a wind phone and, and how would you, and, and I don't mean to put you on the spot, yeah. but how would you start? I, I'm trying to think of it as like a, in practice, someone who's grieving enters into a payphone, like, did, did the actors or, or you help them go in a specific direction? How do you start the process of talking into the phone? Well, which each character, it, because they each were thematically, had different forms of how their grief was manifesting. Mm -hmm. I think first it, it would be surrounded by what were your feelings around this person that you lost? What was your relationship like? Was it in a good place? Wasn't it a difficult place? Were there things that you needed to tell the person that you hadn't? And so I think that's what's so interesting is that you kind of, when you step into a wind phone, and I think that anyone can create this space for themselves mm -hmm. anywhere, there really are no rules. I think it's really I would say the, the most therapeutic thing is not to think about it and let your stream of consciousness flow, your, which is really probably a lot of your intuition, your subconscious, kind of being able to rise to the surface. I mean, you could go in with a plan. There were things, say, that you particularly wanted to get off your chest to someone, like one of the characters who had kept this kind of secret from her father about his beloved pet that she accidentally killed but i think that sometimes what's so hard is when we speak to someone else we feel like we're being judged right mm -hmm. automatically so we're thinking well what should i say about my grief what yeah, what are you what's, expecting what's expecting? what are you expecting what sounds best and that's what i thought was so amazing about 
having a space, this enclosed space out in nature where you kind of feel this sense of solitude mm. and you're really away from everyone and there is no expectation. There is no script. It's just let your stream of consciousness flow just as the way, you know, people advise in a journal sometimes mm -hmm. can be really helpful too, where we don't judge our words or, oh, that doesn't sound like a great sentence or I wish I said that a little more eloquently. I think having that kind of freedom is where a lot of things too that are repressed mm -hmm. as well may start to come to the surface. We repress a lot because we're feeling judged. And you know, one of the characters said that even as a child, he would make his phone calls from a payphone as a teenager because he was so terrified of his parents hearing him, not because that he wasn't supposed to be on the phone, but because they might judge what he would say. Oh. And so he felt safer in that confined space. And I, I think that's what it created. It's like this kind of metaphysical reality where you really, when you step inside it, you do kind of feel like you're somewhere else. And you really have that freedom to um, express whatever that you need to say or things that you may never even have, I guess, never knew you needed to say. Yeah. I think that that's what, so surprising about the wind phone. And I mean, look at one of the characters was grappling with the fact that her husband had an affair and goes through this kind of roller coaster where she's talking about that he might have faked his own death to run off with his lover, to kind of accepting that he is gone. Or it's it's just, and I actually, a grief therapist told me she has a client like that who lost somebody, her husband and he was having affairs prior to his death and she is grappling with these same type of emotions where it goes from anger to intense pain and sadness but not everyone feels safe with their therapist to go there or another person i think this is why the wind phone became such a kind of cultural explosion in japan because it was needed there was especially a place where in general emotions, it, you know, it, it's, I don't want to say frowned upon, but being emotionally open isn't as encouraged. Mm -hmm. um, the etiquette around a payphone, I mean, maybe it's different in other countries, but it really is that you shouldn't be eavesdropping, right? So it's like you're describing that people are supposed to give you some room to, to do yeah, it. to stand. If there were more people there, they would stand some space apart mm -hmm. or, there, you know, sometimes there wasn't lines, but other times like the anniversary or different points, there could be more than one person visiting. And so, yeah, there was a certain etiquette to give people that space and to not really try to look at what was going on and not to obviously eavesdrop. But yeah, I think it's so interesting. And I, I'm actually myself debating, put using the phone, the payphone from the film and installing it in Joshua Tree. That would be a good um, place for it. Potentially, yeah, as a as a as another wind phone to pop up. And what a beautiful thing if this could continue to spread. I mean mm -hmm. Just there's so many. I mean, just like wow, like I can't even imagine those people in Florida grappling with that that building collapse. Yeah. I mean there's just been so much kind of these mass unexpected deaths. And I think that grieving in your own way is important, but I think there's something really healing about grieving as a collective, mm -hmm. as you mentioned before, um, that community. I think that's why I'm sure that people gravitate towards podcasts like yours and to these different grief organizations I've connected with and, we're raising grief awareness and it's just a fact of our lives that we will continuously be grieving. Yeah. We will continue to so lose love. Right? It's so heavy to think, but yeah. it's so true. You know, actually through in making the wind phone, you know, I had that loss with my grandmother. And then when we were promoting the film, I actually lost my son who I was five months pregnant with. Oh, I'm so sorry. It was, it was it was really, really hard. And two weeks later, I was on a stage having to talk about grief. And there I was again, facing this almost a loss like that. It's like a tidal wave almost itself. 
-hmm. And, you know, I didn't share that day. It was too soon for me to share with the audience what had happened. But I was a very, you know, it was a very emotionally loaded Q&A. And so I think this is the kind of film where, for me, you know, as probably I go through life and, and lose loved ones or things happen that I can always reconnect with. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously you have these two heavy moments in your life, but I was curious if, if working on such a, a film related to grief, if your thoughts or feelings or, or your approach to grief changed while working on the film. Well, for one, I'll say that in working on the film, it was very much an endeavor for me in channeling my grief. Okay. For me, whether throughout life, reading has always been an outlet to working through grief for me. Mm-hmm. It really seems to help me personally to create something from loss and to kind of, and in that creation, of course, every time you work on a film, you learn all these new things, no matter what it is. But in this, I really learned the importance of holding space for grief. Initially, yeah, that was a thought, but I I was so devastated by this loss and wanting to connect with my grandmother that I knew emotionally right now, this was a good time for me to pursue this film. And I just, I wrote it in like a week and I was like, let's do this. And we were shooting a month later, happened very fast. That's so fast. Wow. Very fast. It was just boom. And then going through this process and talking to different people on the cast and, and, and their, and their stories, I realized myself how important this wind phone was for me and holding space. And yes, I still continue to have those call reminders from my grandmother to have those moments to connect with her. And I really find that that has immensely relieved my guilt and pain for not having the time that I wanted with her. Um, what that to, gives you a space to think about her. Is that is that what it does? Think for about you? her to speak with her. Okay. Um, to to make my my feelings and thoughts to her known. Hmm. Obviously, she is not responding back. But you know, I've had moments where I've had little signs. I don't believe in coincidence, but whether they're coincidence or not, they were quite comforting for me. I I think it it's really something. You know, back to rabbit hole, they say at first it's like a brick and then eventually becomes like a little stone that you carry around in your pocket. Mm-hmm. So I think it's always with us. It just becomes hopefully over time more manageable. But I think it's so, so very important to to hold space and to make room for your emotions and not to repress them and bury them under the carpet and be like, okay, like life goes on because otherwise those feelings can, I think, brew and end up manifesting in more toxic ways, which could be, you know, drinking yourself into oblivion or destructing other parts of your life. I think we've seen that when you don't honor and hold space for that, it's going to find a way Mm. to make itself heard. And so like, why not let's create like a healthy kind of space for it versus repressing it and having it manifest in all these dark and toxic ways that really are just going to add to the suffering that we're already enduring. I'm nodding for people listening. I'm just nodding along because I couldn't agree more with what you're describing here. (laughs) That's exactly why I started this podcast where there were times that the loss of my, I grew up with my grandma living with me and she passed away. I feel like I was drinking a little bit too much sure. and was getting angry at moments that didn't call for anger and I, I couldn't understand I just my brain felt just so fuzzy and so I, I definitely encourage people to at times you have to you have to create this you have to create the space right you have to go give yourself room to start to handle those emotions otherwise I mean I, I just like I regret who I was at those times, you know, and, and 
because it's not the person or the man I want to be. And how you avoid that is to go looking for those emotions and create that space for yourself because they're coming out. hundred percent. Yeah. Well, I mean, really it's a trauma. I just finished a pilot, which really centers on trauma to be more vague, but it's about a teenage girl who's grappling with DID, which is formerly known as multiple personality disorder, except the thesis of my show is it's actually not really a disorder. It's actually the mind's ability to cope with the most unthinkable trauma. So it stores and compartmentalizes trauma in another part of the brain. So the going on part of it yourself can move forward. And DID, the way they portray it usually in film and TV is not is always exaggerated. It's on a broad spectrum. And so a lot of people experience disassociation during tra traumatic events. And what happens is it can be stored in another part of your brain, but then it manifests in all these, just like grief can manifest in all these different ways. And until you have that awareness and hold space to address that, the part of your brain that's traumatized, you know, in that kind of trauma, it's really about learning what the triggers are, what in the, which would be very specific to the trauma. But I think grief is very similar to trauma and this, there can be triggers as well. I think that's something that I've noticed with people who are grieving that there can be, they can see something and be triggered, something that reminds them of the person or even a situation that there's only a remote connection to that, to that little space in their brain that's still kind of trying to grapple with this grief. And so I think the more awareness we have and the more open we are with ourselves, and a lot of it is just about taking away the judgment because yeah. there's stigmas yes. around, oh, it's taking too long for her to get over this or, mm -hmm. or, you know, people whose minds may work a little differently or who may need to grieve in a different way. So I think that's like another important piece of, of the conversation is these are difficult topics and trauma is very difficult for any human being and not everyone's going to deal with it, but let's remove the stigmas from the people who aren't dealing with it the way that we would like them to. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, they're dealing with enough outside of judgment. People don't need that. People have so many things under the surface that they're dealing with that you, and I'm just saying you is like collectively, we don't understand, right? So just allowing people to live their life. I, I don't know. I, I never really understood the level of judgment that gets cast. I, I know. And it's, it's, and it, it can be really cause people to repress. It can be really paralyzing mm -hmm. for some, force them into dangerous places. Absolutely. Yeah. And so I think the more conversations and like, like this wonderful podcast and the, the more conversations and I, it's, it's so exciting to me to see these grief awareness groups and these kind of collective moments, you know, whether it's the wind phone or a group or, or a podcast where people, I mean, this can be life-saving for people, people. I mean, there was a story recently in the news where a lawyer, his, he lost his wife and son during a carjacking and got so depressed that he hired a hitman to kill himself. Oh my God. He was going through the grief, which the, I guess, it didn't work or it was like a botched job. So he's still alive and working through now, finally really having to work through it again, but grief can end in suicide. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, we have that in the wind film where we're the characters at the edge of the cliff and you, and you know, he's thinking about it for a moment because he feels so guilty. He wasn't with his wife, mm -hmm. you know, that survivor's guilt. That's like a whole nother element of guilt when one person survives and another doesn't. Right. Um, why, why me? I should have been the one to go. Grief isn't, it's, it's a, it's an important mental health. It could be, it can become a crisis if, if not addressed and if the resources aren't available to someone who is going through a loss. Absolutely. I want to make sure that we mention where people can, can see the wind phone. Yeah. So it is, if you have Amazon prime, it's part of the Discover Indie Film series. So you would type in Discover Indie Film and it's season three, episode four. So it's available and it's, we're still on the festival circuit right now. I think we're nearing like a hundred festivals. It's so exciting. This, this film, like I said, I didn't know because it's, it's pretty art house and it, it's Japanese and it's very culturally specific. 
I didn't know. I hope I, I knew in my heart it would translate, but you know, making a film, you never know what will actually come to be. Mm-hmm. It's very unpredictable. But yeah, it's I, it's been in so many different countries. I think it's almost hit every continent. And I think people from all cultures and backgrounds from around the world have been able to connect to it. So Very that easy to connect with. Yeah, it really is. That means more than any award or any kudos about the film is that for me, filmmaking is I hope to create something that people can emotionally connect with, that can add to the conversation, maybe could change someone's point of view, change someone's life, even if it's in the smallest way or it's the biggest way. Those are the stories that drive me. And I, I, if I find a story, you know, right now I'm working, you know, it's an American, it's set in Rockport, Massachusetts, but I'll go anywhere in the world if I find a story and I feel like I can find a way in authentically, I, I will try to pursue it. Well, that's so fun. I love that. Well, yeah, it's like you get to like travel to different worlds. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and find that ultimately we're all human, no matter where you are. Exactly. It's, it's, that's what I find the most. Kind of it just resonates over and over again. No matter what country or what part of history that I'm exploring, it's the emotions that we share as humans. Are, they're all very similar. We all grieve. Mm-hmm. We all feel pain. Right. We all love. Absolutely. Just as simple as that. <laughs> Just as simple as that. <laughs> well, thank you so much for this conversation. Before we end it, I just want to make sure, is there anything you want to mention about the movie, grief, your life, anything else that you would like to add? I would just like to, I mean, just a message, I think, to anyone that is grieving and could be feeling overwhelmed. There are so many great organizations out there. If you feel like perhaps your family isn't the support system that you need, sometimes our own loved ones may not be who we need to help us move through our, through our grief. And so while you know, you may find that expectation that they should be, I think it's really great to, there's no shame if they're not, and to looking elsewhere outside of your family or close-knit circle if you feel overwhelmed with grief because there will be someone out there or a group of people out there that you will be able to connect with mm-hmm. and will be able to hear you i think that's just really important for anyone out there listening that don't give up if the answers aren't perhaps right in your own circle and you need to seek them out seek them out elsewhere. That's beautiful advice. Yeah. Take care of yourself. And there are definitely people who are willing and able to help you on that journey. I don't care who you are. There's always, there's always someone and that will hold that. And that can hold that space for you, whether, you know, there's some people now that are, you know, hiking on that Appalachian trail and finding that wind phone. I've been watching the posts and having some, some beautiful moments whatever it is. I mean, sometimes working through grief, I mean, like, you know, that beautiful film Wild um, by Cheryl, for her, it was a matter of doing this unthinkable hike to really, the film is really about her working through the grief of losing her mother. Right. And that's what she needed to do. So I say if what the traditional or the people around you are telling you is this is your time to grieve or trying to navigate your grief experience to to not be afraid to step out of that box and and explore ways to work it out yourself. For me, a lot of it is creation, but for everyone, it's a very unique experience. Absolutely. Well, I want to encourage everyone to check out The Wind Phone. It, it's a beautiful movie. Whether you're grieving or not, you'll definitely be able to connect with it. And thank you so much for your time and, and for your being open and, and discussing all this with me. Uh, and I'm excited to watch you uh, create more stuff because it sounds like you're not afraid to get into some heavier topics, which I think I'm certainly into and I think the world needs a little bit more of. Well, thank you. I really, I truly, truly enjoyed connecting with you and talking with you. And I really just want to thank you for creating this space. I think it's really important work that you're doing and I'm looking forward to watching it grow. I I really just have such admiration for what you're doing. 
So thank you. That's very nice of you. You know, the idea of grieving into a unconnected payphone is really nice. It's like it creates a space where it may be tough for you to create space to grieve, right? If you're at home, you may feel weird if someone else is around or someone can hear you or see you. And of course, someone could see you in a payphone, but you're just having a conversation. Also, if it's a known wind phone, everyone knows what you're doing and people would only be there for similar things and, and would respect your your privacy and your space. You know, because not everyone has a gravestone or can get to where someone's buried, especially the location of this wind phone. It was, you know, a, a cliff to infinity, seemingly, you know, the way the, the ocean goes off to the horizon right right there. But yeah, I think it would be a great thing if more wind phones popped up around the world. So yeah, thank you so much to Kristen Gerwick for her time and, and for creating such a, a beautiful movie. And definitely check out the wind phone. And once again, I'd like to mention and thank the sponsors, Spirit Vessel. Use the promo code DEATHSPACE, one word, for free shipping on personalized urns and the celebration of life ceremony packages. The Cardist Studio. You can use the promo code DEATHPOD, one word, for 10% off all orders. And my software tutor, you can use the promo code POD20 for 20% off all orders. Thanks again to all those companies. And thank you so much to you for listening. Have a great week, and I'll talk to you Thursday. 